Hey guys, welcome back to the Far Better Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Clark, and today we're finishing up our wrong way sign in our road sign series, and we're going to do some takeaways from the text. Number one, God is always upfront about his expectations. As a father, this is a huge struggle for me. I always am trying to make sure that I have a balance with my son, who's five at the time that I'm filming this, and my daughter, who is just about to be one. Both of them are at such different stages of life and different understandings and different motor skills and abilities that to have the same expectations of both of them at this point is unreasonable. But the time will come when both of them are adults and the expectations being very similar will be par for the course. God looking at his creation always made the expectations clear. It would be unfair for God not to be clear about how he wants man to live. In the case of what we studied, think of this for a moment. He told them what to do. There could be no argument otherwise. In Deuteronomy 28, verses 1 through 14, it clearly points out all of the blessings that any child of God would have had if they would just follow God. And if a man today would pick up a copy of God's Bible, they too would find all that is expected to be done. No one on the Day of Judgment can say, well, if only someone had given a revelation about what was required. I'm going to pull up a scripture here in just a moment. We're going to cover this, but I want you to notice something that I've heard people say before. I've heard the statement made that what about people who don't have the opportunity to, you know, get the Bible? And some might use an argument along the lines of, what about an island that is off the coast of civilization by miles and miles. And in order to get there, you have to take a boat. And this island of people, you know, they they don't accept any visitors. And you try to bring them the word of God, they'll shoot at you with their poisonous darts. According to some research that I've done, such an island exists of a group of people who do not want outside visitors. And therefore, when anyone does come close to them, they do try to keep them from coming in. But the question becomes more so on the island inhabitants. Who's keeping the gospel from coming out? It's incredible when you think about this. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, Paul writes to Timothy that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, that the man of God may be complete. That word complete, we've talked about this before, is the same word used in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 10, when that which is perfect has come. You could say with absolute certainty, when that which is complete has come. The man of God may be complete, perfectly capable of being equipped for every good work. What's the very next section in 2 Timothy? Well, there's a chapter break. And it's probably another one of those not the best chapter breaks. 
Paul writes, I charge you therefore before God and to Jesus and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, to do what? You take that word of God, which is profitable, it's able to help you with doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness, that you can be a completed individual. And you take that word and you preach it. You be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they'll heap up for themselves teachers that they like, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. What I can take from this is that in the case of Timothy, he was instructed to preach the word because there would come a time when people no longer wanted to hear it. What are we to do if we do everything that we can to get the gospel somewhere and it still doesn't make it? We can only control what we can control. You know, the unfortunate problem that our country seems to be facing is that we don't want to read the most readily accessible book that we can have our hands on. I'm out of town for work for the Memphis School of Preaching this week, and I had some free time this afternoon, so I went over to a Books a Million to pick up some books for the kids and for my wife and I as kind of a welcome back present for them. Uh, I guess they should maybe buy me the presents, but you know we'll get there. But I wanted to bring a gift back from my trip. Do you know how many Bibles I saw in Books a Million? Now, don't get me wrong. <laughs> the same store had a bunch of books that no one should probably be buying ever. But that same location had not just multiple Bibles, multiple translations, multiple study Bibles, multiple books on Christian living. And though I would disagree with a lot of the teaching and writing that is within those pages of a lot of those books and even some of the translations, you cannot tell me that the Word of God is not accessible. You could not tell the Israelite people that they didn't know a revelation from God about what was required. No one on the day of judgment will be able to say to God, if only you had warned me, if only you had told me. He told them what to do. He's told us what to do. He told them what not to do. Even greater detail was provided for them on that subject. Over 54 verses detail, 132 punishments being given from verses 15 to 68. God could have simply simplified it by saying, if Israel worships other gods, they'll go into captivity. However, an incredible dedication to over-explain all that would come upon them should really give man a clearer picture and understanding for God's love for mankind. He told them what not to do and what would happen if they did it. 
we're always given the proper knowledge. In the Old Testament and New Testament, God often spoke directly to those who were his people. Today, he does that just through the Word of God, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. So, God is always upfront about his expectations. Number two, God does not want destruction. Is there a major problem in this text in Deuteronomy 28? There is a major problem, quote-unquote, among many skeptics that seems to stem from this very chapter of study. They see a God that says, The Lord will rejoice over you to destroy you and bring you to nothing. Deuteronomy 28.63 And believe that means that the Lord relishes the chance to get back at His wicked creation and punish. But there's a couple of issues and problems with that thinking. Number one, he takes no pleasure in punishment. Deuteronomy is not the only place of warning before imminent destruction occurs. We've alluded to Amos a couple of times in our podcast this season, and I believe even in the wrong way track that we've been kind of going through. Amos details a portion of trial and their unwillingness to repent and change, Amos 4, 6-11. When his warnings were not heeded, Amos said that they must prepare to meet their God and be taken into ultimate punish. Punishment, Amos 4, 12-13. If God was trying to punish Israel from the beginning with captivity, why would he give them chance after chance to repent and turn back to the correct path? He takes no pleasure in punishment. He also shows incredible patience. If we were to consider Amos as a testament to God's patience, then we would be astonished upon a closer look at the book of Judges. Its entire message is one of sin, oppression, repentance, deliverance, repeat. Yet every time that deliverance was given, it was because repentance had taken place. The book records on multiple occasions with the declaration that Israel had no ruler, and on two occasions that they did whatever they felt was right, Judges 18.1, 19.1, 17 and verse 6, and Judges 21.25. Why would God be so patient? if he were relishing the opportunity to punish. Number three, if you think about a problem with this problem, he always sends a messenger. Again, if God wanted to punish simply because it brings him a twisted sense of enjoyment, then why did he constantly send messengers to his people? Warning them. Taking this back even before Deuteronomy 28 or the book of Judges, one could look at the example of Noah being used as a preacher of righteousness, 2 Peter 2.5. God allowed for a wicked world to stand for an extra 120 years simply to get eight people on a boat? 1 Peter 3.20? That's the only reason? No. God sent a man named Jonah, Jonah 1-4, through to a wicked and absolute horrible nation, a nation that had been instrumental in the captivity of God's people, because he relishes the chance to punish those who have done wrong? No. It's about opportunity. Opportunity is the answer. He wants people to do what is right. He wants man to choose to follow him. This is still the answer today. Even today, God still utilizes what many will ignore as the only way his message gets out, 
Romans 10.14, and 1 Corinthians 1.21. What a blessing that we're not bound by numbers, but by opportunity. Number three, prosperity will never replace God. You know, the thing that irks me the most when I watch ministers, and I hesitate to even call them ministers, you know the prosperity gospel? The gospel that says, if you give me some seed money, God will bless you back a hundredfold, a thousandfold, a, a billion, trillion, willionfold, whatever they're going to say. <laughs> it's just nonsense. I saw a man's rationale just even this morning on a video where he says, $300. You know why $300? Because number one, it shocked you when you heard it. What does that have to do with anything? Why not $3,000? That would certainly shock some people. And his second line of reasoning on why this would be a blessing to them was, well, maybe you can't give $300. What can you give? Do you know what they're doing? They're lying to you. They just want to line their own pockets with your money. God knows what we value most. You know, when we think about the prosperity gospel, unfortunately, a lot of Christians end up having that be their own way of living, but it's just a little bit of a different take. God mentions physical punishment the most in this chapter at 54 references. He mentions punishment on their peace, the second most, at 44 references. He mentions punishment on prosperity, the least, at 33 references. Now notice the importance of the numeric value here, because at first glance, that may not seem like a significant statement. Uh, notice the following. Man often tries to fill a God-sized hole with man-sized materials. So is it any accident that God spends more time focusing on their physical and peace being gone than he would the prosperity? Physically, they would be in pain. They would have no peace because they wouldn't have God. Ultimate prosperity comes from God. And when the Israelites were not able to be involved in physical fitness and have the peace of mind to accomplish the work, then they would not be able to prosper. True prosperity is only found by being in service to the Lord. It means the least in this section because without physical fitness, one could still ultimately have peace in God. Without peace in this life, one could still find such in the Lord. Without prosperity, one could still easily find peace and physical fitness or what we would call contentment in service to the Lord. Many people, though, many people find prosperity, but no God. Many people prosper, but they never stop to consider 
who God is. You know, if we remember nothing else about the Old Testament, we need to remember Deuteronomy 28 and the tone that is set in this chapter. For without the denial of the warning that God gave, most of the Old Testament would not exist. Many of the minor prophet prophet books among some of the major would not have been written, all because Israel did not follow the Lord and be blessed, but they chose to deny and rebel against him and be cursed and punished, testing him in his faithfulness to punish. Deuteronomy 21, or 28, 1 through 68. Our modern world and modern man, please, please pray that they don't make the same foolish decisions and be cursed for disobedience at the end, Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Thus concludes our study of the wrong way sign. I've enjoyed it. I hope you have too. Deuteronomy 28 is one of my favorite Old Testament chapters. It is interesting. You know, I, I'm a big fan of shows that get prequels where you can kind of figure certain things out about different characters and have what they call a callback. Deuteronomy 28 isn't a prequel because it was written before the captivity. It's a prophecy. It warns about what was to come. Lord willing, next week we will begin the last sign together where we will have three more episodes, then our summer break, and I'll announce season six's theme in just a little bit about mm, three weeks' time. But until then, let's please God now so our eternity is far better. Thank you so much for listening to this episode on the Scattered Abroad Network. We are grateful for your continued support as well as your continued prayers. If you would like to find out more about our network, please visit our website at scatteredabroad.org. We look forward to studying with you again soon. May God bless you.